finals time and for the 19th time in 22 seasons the Swans are involved. While it's not the double chance we hope for, we can still achieve greatness this season. You are listening to the Swans Blogs and Swans Cast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. In this week's episode we review the Swans mixed bag second half of the season. We discuss the games, the players, we give our biggest improvers and sliders and we also look ahead at the Bob Skilton medal and preview the finals. I'm Justin Mitchell and with me is Swans Cast regular Joshua Ma. So Josh... Not quite the end of the season we're hoping for, but in all things considered, not too bad. No, no. Well, yeah, no, not too bad. I think uh, I think the positives still far outweigh the bad stuff, and uh, uh, that that Gold Coast game, yeah, has come back to haunt. It us. has, hasn't it? And after yeah. kicking, I think it was like forty points in that first quarter. I think we kicked four for almost the next two quarters until we got a goal right at the end of the second, uh, third quarter, rather. Yeah, it was uh, suboptimal for sure. Um, suboptimal for our top four chances. Um, I mean, there's a couple of other moments in the year that maybe if they went our way, like, I don't know, Jared's touched behind actually being called a touched behind. Yeah. Um, and then North, North Melbourne not winning that game. But North were clearly the better team, as the Suns were, but we still could have had a chance. Yeah. Uh, but, gee whiz, uh, the game against the Suns just... Yeah. Yeah. And- I'm still not happy when I remember. No, it. <laughs> no, no. Um, my confession is that I actually took five weeks, um, five weeks off traveling through America during the season. So I was away for the bye week. I was away for Richmond. I was away for the Suns. I was away for the Cats and North Melbourne. And they came back for the week. Uh, leading up to Essendon, and I was still pretty jet-lagged for that match. So I didn't end up going to see the Essendon match, and in the end, kind of, thankfully, didn't, because it would have been a really uh, depressing night. Yep. There's a few depressing nights after the bye. Lots of good ones before it, though. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good ones. Well, we'll kick it off straight into the agenda for today's show. We got the Swans, they sign on. So Naismith, uh, we were actually talking about him during the weekend on the weekend, about what kind of role he's going to play in the future of the club. He has signed on for three more years. Now, that basically makes him a single club player for the rest of his career. Uh, He's only played uh, 27, 28 games, and he's in his mid-20s, so that's going to set him up right almost until he's about 30 years old. Then also, Heath Grundy, he's signed on for one more year, so that basically runs him up until the end of his career, and McVeigh is also going to sign on for one more year. And you just never know. If he keeps going the way he's going, he might keep going one year at a time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, if if he was playing uh, like he is now at the end of next year and he decided to stay on the paddock for another 12 months, well, you'd take it every day of the week, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yep. The only thing that's really sort of holding him back, I guess, would be a serious injury, and that would be considered at that time possibly a career-ending injury. And not, we're not <laughs> well, talking like a serious injury, but we're talking we're like... age. Yeah, we're <laughs> Macca's age. <laughs> Old man injury. We, we keep joking about the old man cars and stuff like that, but if he were to suffer another calf injury, that would probably be be it. It'd be like a Deledio situation, I think, where it's kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe he hasn't quite got that level of, uh, I would say, natural fitness to keep him going anymore. 
No. No, that's true. Um, a little bit... Oh, I got some reservations about Naismith. Um, um, he, you know, he hasn't exactly been one of our, our fittest players over the last couple of years, and he's going to be more injury-prone in terms of ACLs. You know, that's just a fact. If you do one, you're yeah. three to seven times more likely to do the other one as well, as we just found out with AJ. Um, but, you know, if he can stay fit, and uh, if he can free sinkers up to do some other stuff around the ground, uh, that that would be a huge win for us. Um, but in the absence of any other sort of tall rocky types getting around free agency at the moment, can't really afford to let him go either. So I think it's a it's a no. good move to keep him on. No, and and you're quite right. Like we look back last year when Callum Sinclair had his best game against St Kilda, and he absolutely destroyed the St Kilda backline. And you can also look at the game against Essendon as well, where Sinclair was really good. Um, Naismith, he played both those games. Uh, he was in the ruck for the Saints game, got 21 hitouts, and also in the ruck for the Bombers game, got 33 hitouts. So I think he kind of he does help uh, with, that, with that ruck situation. But again, it's like, are we going to play him as our first ruck or are we going to look at him more as a backup ruck, given the way that Sinclair has gone this season, which has been absolutely phenomenal? Yeah, that's true. I, st- I still think I still think our yeah, team's better structured with a tall down forward though. So if um, you know, if well, his his name's Sam Reed and he will get injured again. Um, I'm I'm positive <laughs> that will be times in the next three years where Sinclair's will be our tall for forward, uh, pending yep. the further development of the Tommy McCartans of the world. And we still have Nick Blakey as well, uh, and he's regarded as a very good prospect, not only as a as a midfielder, he's, what, Patrick Cripps size. Patrick Cripps is, what, I think 192 and 194. And Nick Blake is about the same size. But he's also highly regarded as a forward as well. So we do have options. We're going to have several options uh, next year, provided provided we don't get... Uh Provided we actually get Blakey, because the way that yeah. you know the way they're talking about the way they're going to restructure the draft and um, uh, compensation picks for some of these other clubs, we could actually we're in a real risk of missing out on him. I think. Um, yeah, we are, especially if Colton and uh, the Gold Coast Suns they get picks well, you know, before us. If they get their um, compensation picks and their priority picks, and they get them right at the start of the draft, like has been sort of um, rumored. They're going to have the first five picks. They can afford to just chuck a, a pick two or pick three at him because the Swans have to match it, and the Swans are going to have to pretty much throw the farm at him uh, at the draft just to pick it up. So they're going to have to trade away a lot to get Nick Blakey. If that yeah, happens. no, that's that's right. I think I think we're just going to have to expect that we're going to lose our first and our highest second round pick. Yeah, um, they're going to have to be prepared for Blakey to be taken at number one. Um, I think in you know, and I don't know. I don't actually think he would be a number one draft pick, but I tell you what, there'd be a few list managers out there who might do the selection just to spite us as well. Yeah, look, it has those sort of things have happened as well. I mean, Melbourne, um, they went hard on Isaac Heaney originally, um, despite the fact that uh, he was never ever going to go anywhere else but Sydney. So, well, I actually understood that. I actually understood the Melbourne bid for Isaac Heaney though, because Paul Ruse thought that. Isaac Kenny was the best midfielder in that draft, so I actually get that. Um, and there's that whole connection that Paul Roos is actually in charge of the academy, you know, while Isaac Kenny was there. So I actually get that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't understand. I won't understand any other club going for Tom McCartan, um, and it would just be to try and buck the system. I think. Yeah, I, I think um, I think you mean Nick Blakey there, but yeah, you, you're completely right. I think say? it would be. You said Tom McCartan. 
<laughs> no other club just, went for Tom McCartan. Night shift people. I I I, uh, <laughs> I apologise for the next hour. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, no, we did pick Tom McCartan up with our second round picks, so and no one else picked him up. So you're quite right there. No one else went for him. But yeah, look, uh, the situation with Nick Blake is definitely going to be an interesting one, and something we'll cover when we get closer to the draft. In any case. Uh, now, obviously, the All-Australian team was announced this week. Uh, we had the extended squad of 40, so Franklin and Jake Lloyd, they both made the extended squad. Unfortunately, yep. Lloyd didn't make the 22, but Franklin not only made the 22 at centre-half forward, but he was named the captain. And this kind of uh, drew some incredulity responses, uh, a bit of, you know, what the hell is going on there, uh, much akin to last year when... Alex Rance was named captain and everyone was scratching their head going, I don't understand. This guy is not a captain. He is as far from a captain as one could possibly be. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a fog. So yeah. And then Ben Ronk came out and said, I'd love to play on the captain buddy. I would play on the captain buddy and all the other players, especially the young players who come through the system. They start their first and second year at the Swans. They go, this guy is amazing. He spends so much time with us. He's so patient. He helps us develop and he wants us to get better. And yep. he's so good out on the field. He tells good us call. what to do. If we make a mistake, he doesn't yell at us. He just says, go again, go again. Don't worry about it. Go again. So, yes. Yeah, what did you make of the outrage, Josh? Uh, manufactured. I did wonder where it was when Alex Rance got it last year. Um, Oh, look, I, I kind of understand. I, I kind of understand it. I had, I had some real reservations about last year's All Australian team, and it was, you know, purely because I'm a Swannies fan because I thought that uh, Josh Kennedy yeah. should have been there. And um, oh yeah, over Joel Selwood. And Joel Selwood shouldn't have been there. No right to be in it. He was half fit for the whole season. I think he only played 14 or 15 games. No, no, it was garbage. It was a garbage selection. Um, but uh, I didn't like the Alex Rance pick um, because I would have thought it as well. You're gonna have to edit that bit out, mate. Let me just start again. Um, sure. I didn't like the Alex Rance pick um, because I just don't see any leadership qualities from Alex Rance though on the field. Like the Tigers guys might might scream about how great he is, um, but when I compare how how he leads on the field compared to how Franklin leads on the field. I would have thought that Franklin actually showed genuine leadership qualities. I'm not really sure about um, Rance unless it's yeah. you know, in on how to draw a free kick for contact, which isn't there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, look, I, I was I was comfortable with the decision, and many other people won't be. Uh, probably a telling thing is that there's a video getting around of, um, I think it's some kind of, you know, a West Coast Eagles function, and they're talking about the people who are on the selection panel for All Australian Coast Eagles legend, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, who has come out and said that he actually selected um, Buddy Franklin as the All Australian captain over Shannon Hearn. So there's a little yep. bit of internal stuff going on over there at the moment too, I reckon. So no, I like I like the decision. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, look, uh, there are some really good leaders in that team itself. Um, Shannon Hearn, he is a good footballer and a good leader. The one thing, um, and I know this isn't Swans related, but this is definitely football related. Uh, a lot of people have always said Tex Walker is an amazing leader. He's one of the best captains in the league. And last year, I think for two years in a row, he was actually voted by his peers as the best captain in the league. Yep. I, I just couldn't understand it. Uh, I couldn't understand it last year. I certainly could, I could kind of understand it the previous year, obviously, with what happened. But 
this year, I think his real colours have come out to show. He's been disciplined by the club for drinking too much. He's twice been suspended. His performances on the field have been abject and atrocious at times. And for all intents and purposes, his performances off the field have been just as poor as they have been on the field. He hasn't really been the supportive face or come out as a supportive face of the club for the players, especially for the players when they needed it most. You know, you look at GWS, Phil Davis, he comes out. He's very much like players first, players first, club first, players first, that sort of thing. Um, Joel Salwood's very much like that. Luke Hodge used to be like that. Very much players, club, worry about the rest, but get the players right, that sort of thing. Tex Walker's, he always has this, I don't know, this persona that is very, um, very selfish, very selfish football and a very selfish person. Yep. I, I don't know if that's, if that's just me or not, but that, that's what I always see when I see Tex Walker is, is chucking a strop. He used to be like the Jack Rewalt four years ago. He'd be throwing his toys out with the, you know, the bathwater and all that sort of thing, you know, chucking a strop on the field. He'd sit down and pout and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I just don't get it. No, nah, neither, neither do I. I'm, I, you know, I'm like half the people who watch the AFL, you know, whenever I think of Tex Walker, I think of Mr. Potato Head out of Toy Story. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, yeah, very uh, true. Yeah, look, I think I think the whole Phil Walsh thing got him a pity vote for the captain of the year. That was just the way I felt. Um, yep. You know, not to mind the tragedy of that situation, but I thought there was a bit of a pity vote involved in that. And then he sort of, for me, showed his true colours as well. So there was all, all that absolute carry-on last year when, um, my name escapes me, the one who requested a trade to um, out Lever. of the Crows and ended up at... Yeah, at, Jake Lever. Jake Lever. Yeah, the way, the way he, he sort of went about that. The carry-on about yeah. Yeah, and more recently, this last couple of weeks, the last few days, they carry on about McGovern as well, you know. Um, I, I don't think he's cracked all that he's been cracked up to be. Yeah, I'm really... Um, I, I, to, to be honest, I'm not real surprised that the players are basically revolting in a way. Uh, the coaches... Certainly what happened after last year's preseason, I'm not surprised whatsoever that the players and coaches actually won out of the club. Although I am very, very surprised that when players go, oh, I actually want to go to another club, they actively, like, um, attack them. In the public, Jake Lee yeah. was told, don't even come to the best and fairest because he only, he only played, like, 35 games. So yep. he's only, like, a second or third-year player. I just... You'd I have just to wonder what was going on there, so... Uh, just yeah. with the Crows in general, the amount of the amount of you know junior coaching staff who were getting out of the Crows at the end of this year is quite a lot. So we know um, Rock Ryan O'Keefe uh, wants yep. out. He wants to go to Victoria. Um, Josh Franku's out. So we imagine I think you didn't even talking, last twelve months. Didn't even last twelve months, and uh, he'll probably end up at Gold Coast with Jude. Yep. Um, and there was someone else who wanted out as well. Just there's this massive dump of staff happening over there. Yeah, and then there was that really bizarre um, press conference by Mind Collective or whatever they're called, the MCG. Oh, collective Mind. Collective Mind, which coincided with the um, Adelaide Crows players trying to um, get in touch with their own football club and having a meeting with them. And then, of course, there's the all the weird stuff that's happening with um, AFL Players Association, uh, the fact that the AFL won't come out and really do anything. It's just this really bizarre situation, really. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but they're the crows. Stuff them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm happy for them to wallow at the bottom. They're back where they deserve to be, just like the dogs Somewhere. out of the top eight. Yep. Now, <laughs> now, the last thing that happened this week, apart from the uh, 
Legends game when we actually saw uh, probably one of the freakiest goals I've ever seen um, kicked, and that was from um, Darren Jarman. He actually kicked a pretty wonderful goal off the ground uh, in the wet that just skidded through in the end. I don't, did you watch the game at all? No, I, I, I actually I didn't even know it was on. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. Um, he's, a, he's a big yeah, portly I guy. Completely missed it. And the ball was on the ground, and he's just kicked it. At the, towards the goals and it started bouncing the opposite direction and then a ball kind of just flicked over and just trickled straight through the goals he kicked <laughs> it practically from about 25 meters out on the ground he didn't have it in his hand he just kicked the long ground from 25 meters out almost on the boundary line and then he went through for a goal <laughs> <laughs> it was it was insane and the commentators were saying that's probably the best goal we've ever seen in a legends match it was fantastic now did um, i did i hear a story that one jude bolton played in that game yeah he did he did how did uh, he go he went all right. He had a bit of fun, uh, but they were having a bit of a laugh at, about some of the other players who they thought, who were, who they were saying thought they still played at AFL level, and they were trying a bit too hard. Yeah. Um, one uh, McManus from Fremantle, <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of others. It's all it's all good fun to sort of watch. They um, didn't blow the siren for a minute and a half to see if Victoria could get the ball up there up the other end to get a goal to level the score. So they yeah. could have the um, the shootout, but no, it was a good fun game to watch. I'll, I'll tell you um, another thing I did see a couple yep. of days ago, and I don't know whether this is a spoof thing or not, but apparently it's from Kane Corns, um, so maybe it is a spoof. Um, but it was a it was an image that showed um, the best balding team, the team made of the best balding AFL players, and I'd like to point out that one Jared McVeigh got into that team as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's a he is a ripper that guy. Seriously, Kane Corns. Um, the a lot of Corns, people don't like him, but I think he's got a bit of humour as well. Oh, he re- he really does. He really does. Um, and not only that, like he he doesn't mind getting getting himself um himself poked back as well. So he can yeah. he can take it and he can deal it. He's, he's yep. a good good character. Chad Corns is out there playing as well. Uh, he oh, had yeah. a he had a pretty mean rig, and then he said it doesn't even help me because I'm just stuffed after running around for about thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was pretty funny watching that uh but the other big news obviously is the uh, rising star award so they had the nah. rising star team very nice photos there obviously stevenson won it um the swans um florent and ben Ronk, they did okay um so florent florent he did pretty well in the end but obviously um no swans won it this year unfortunately yeah but um yeah pretty yeah, proud I of how thought it was thought it was a boring conventional choice to be honest uh, yeah kick 30 I know was first year player and playing as like a, a semi key position forward would be a hard gig but I, I, I thought that Valix Witherden played for a Victorian team uh, from the Lions I thought he would have he would have been up there for sure the, yeah. the boys played as a key backman in a you know in a in a developing team um, who really for for most he probably should have been getting slammed week in week out um um, and he had some very uh, Hodge-like moments, and he's under the tutelage of Hodge. I just thought he yeah. should have he should have been a lot closer, or won it. I thought that the media hype surrounding Stevenson uh, was over the top, and I thought it showed in the voting. Yeah, but that's because he's a Collingwood player. You know, exactly. that as soon as if you got like a Hawthorne or a Collingwood player who's any kind of chance to be a rising star, they get they really they really do get the media behind them, and um, it can be a bit sickening at times, really. Yep. Absolutely. So, obviously, we talked about Adelaide, not Swans related, and we're not going to talk about any of the uh, bottom 10 teams for the rest of uh, today's show unless we lost to them. Unfortunately, we lost to quite a few of them. Um, 
But uh, we do have our biggest three improvers and our biggest three sliders, Josh. So I would like you to give me your first big three improver and why. Tommy McCartan. Um, Love well, it. I'm just going to read out a, a couple of just his season average stats because they're actually not great. So he's got 9.4 disposals, 4.7 kicks, 4.6 handballs, 3.4 marks, two tackles and uh, 0.6 of a goal per game. And he's only played the 14 games for the year. Um, but the reason I've put Tom McCartan in is because he is a school kid. We have asked, and that's going to, I've got another, another kid in my list later on, but we have yep. asked these kids, we have thrown them at the walls because we had no other option and they've performed admirably. Um, and he, he's got a good work rate. He gets up and down the ground often. Um, he provides aerial contests, even though he, he probably gets outmarked a lot. Um, and part of that's just because his body's undersized. But yeah. the bloke was two days short of playing TAC Cup again this year. This guy has been fantastic for us. And I just couldn't be happier for what we got out of essentially a high school kid. Yeah, and the other thing that's really impressive about him is he's averaging more than one contested mark a game. Yep. And he's a yep. skinny boy. He's only 82 kilos. He's a, yep. he's 192 and 82 kilos. He's literally the same weight as, like, Hayward. And he's Imagine playing what he's going to be like when he's 95 kilos. He's going to be... Oh, yeah. He's going to be unstoppable. great. He's going to be unstoppable. He'll be... Um, I'm just trying to think who who he would most be like. He'd be probably better than players like Hogan. Um and Jack Darling, I think he'd be better than them, for sure. Ooh, I like I, it. <laughs> I, I think if you can sort of clean up his kicking and the way he attacks the ball and the way he attacks contests, I think he could really be something. The other thing that I, I'm not quite sure people um, maybe maybe they don't pick up on is he actually averages more than two tackles a game as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's an impressive unit for, for, his, for his lack of experience and, you know... Um, for his lack of experience at his age and his undersized body, he's been just—he's just been great, and we we couldn't have asked for more out of him. And he's probably delivered above what he should have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think with our future there, uh, Sam Reed, we never know what's going to happen if he's ever going to play because he's yeah, unfortunately he's a bit injured. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we know what's going to happen. He's going to do another hamstring, <laughs> probably, or do his Achilles again. He's actually done the same Achilles and the same quad and the same calf like more than two times. So uh, yeah. it's, it's a bit unfortunate where he's going through. But yeah, um, it, it's kind of amazing that in three seasons he's had one season where he didn't play a game. One season where he played three quarters of a game, and then one season where he actually was um, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty amazing how good the Swans can actually be when he actually plays. So, yeah, yep. yeah. He's just he's him and his brother. You know, just there. Obviously, it's got to be uh, genetics or something that yeah. makes them prone to soft tissue injuries. But they're what should have been two superstars of the game who've just been, you know, left hovering around the average because their bodies just don't hold up to it. Well, Sam Reed's nearly um, nearly 27 years old. Yeah. And he's only played 120 games. Yep. Yep. So it's, um, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, just, um, I guess, just sort of how he's been. But, uh, look, if he can get him on the puck these final, this final series, I think... Um, I think he's the right player that we need. He is the player that we need. You reckon we get four games out of him this year and pick up another flag? That'd I reckon if, if we could get him back for the semi, uh, we're not going to get him back for the first final, 
But if we can get him back for the semi, if we make the semi, uh, that would be probably against Collingwood. And I think it would take a lot of pressure off McCartan and Franklin. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I reckon... Um, doesn't matter if he spuds it up. Doesn't even matter if he gets donuts. He has no, to take a defender. Throw caution to the wind, I reckon, this series. Yeah. And just, just make some dramatic changes that makes the other team, you know, force yeah. a response. Force well, them to do something. Force Just do something. Do, do something different. Yep. Um, if you, if you're very unsponsor-like, but... I know. But if you look back at 2016, I think one of the biggest regrets that the club had, and it was blatantly obvious that they regretted it because I came out and said afterwards, Sam Reed was fit and ready. We should have picked him. Was the language yeah, we they used. And they should have picked him. And they basically said they should have picked him for Xavier Richards. But they didn't pick him because Xavier Richards had, had some form and some fitness. Yep. And as it was, Xavier Richards, unfortunately, was very poor that grand final. Yep. Yeah, we and Sam Reed, Yeah, Sam Reed could have been the difference because Xavier Richards just wasn't marking the ball. No. Whenever he went near it, he wasn't getting it. So, yeah, it's um, it's one of those ones where if the, if it's there, do it. Just just do it. Yep. So, now, my first big big improver of the season for the Swans, the one and only young Will Hayward. So Wilbur, Wilbur, um, Wilbur. bit of a bit of a funny name when we yell out "Go Wilbur" and people looking at us at the game like, "Who the hell are you talking about?" But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought he had a very um, a very good season. Uh, he's playing a bit of an interesting role at the moment, actually. Uh, it's it, it's hard to sort of um, I, I guess sort of see what kind of role he's playing because he's playing forward, he's playing midfield, he's playing wing, he's playing back. He's kind of doing the Luke, um, not, not not Luke Bruce, but the uh, the Gunston role. Kind of all over the shop, and he does it at a reasonable level as well. He gets uh, he gets a decent amount of possessions, not a huge amount, but in some games, like for instance against GWS, um, in only his twentieth game, he took nine marks. That's huge. He, in he had three games in a row when Franklin was missing, Geelong, North Melbourne, and Hawthorne. He kicked three goals in each game, and they were pretty much crucial for us beating Geelong and beating Hawthorne as well. He's averaging uh, basically three tackles a game. Uh, in his last, what are we looking at? Last five games, last six games, he had three, four, three, three, five, three. And he gets a couple of clearances a game as well. So now he's averaging just under one clearance a game. This is all from a kid who's basically a forward. Yep. Is he even 20? He's 19, isn't he? He's 19, 19, and he averages more than one goal a game. Uh, yep. And there was some stat out there that um, I think he's he's right up there with roughly the same age as what Franklin. Um, he's like in a really um, small group of players, uh, age based, who kicked their first fifty goals. Oh um, no, I have seen that chart. Yeah, yep. Now I think Franklin got it in like thirty two or thirty three games, but age wise, he's right up there amongst this like super elite group. Um, I think there's only about five or six players roughly the same age or younger that have actually kicked. 50 goals before him so uh, it's quite it's quite amazing actually um so that's my first uh big improver of the season josh your second big improver uh i don't know whether you'd call him a a big improver or not but but he certainly his um his value to the team has been much bigger this year than it was last year despite his uh quiet start to him that's georgie hewitt um yes uh georgie hewitt so i'm not going to go through his uh 
through his numbers except for one, and that is that he gets an average of 4.8 clearances per game, which is ranked as elite. Um, when uh, our best clearance get us JPK uh, at 6.2, uh, which is obviously yep. also elite. Um, but the amount of times... We've had several games this year where Hewitt was the leading clearance getter in our team with oh, double yeah. figures yeah. Um, while he was doing a shutdown role at the same time. Um, and the, the only shutdown role I'm going to talk about is his two jobs on, on Tom Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. So the... Oh, I can't remember the numbers off my head, but his first game this year against Tom Mitchell down at the MCG, he effectively halved um, Mitchell's output, and I mean halved in pretty much every category. Yep. Meters gained, clearances, uh, possessions. He absolutely took Tom Mitchell to town. I think and they more, actually finished with the same number of disposals that game as well, about 22, 23 each. Yeah, they were pretty close. Uh, they were pretty close. And then more recently back up at the SCG um, in that really, really disappointing loss, uh, because <laughs> yeah. every loss to Hawthorne was disappointing. Um, yeah. uh, he did a great job again on Mitchell for probably the first two and a half quarters, and then uh, Mitchell kind of got away. But that sort of coincided with the injury to Hanabry, and then they were able yep. to put more work in at Kennedy, which meant they were relying on Hewitt a little bit more. So that sort of tagging role broke down a little bit. But but he still pulled at least 10 clearances. He definitely pulled double 12. figures again. 12, 12. clearances. Massive yep. night. Oh, it just considering the form slump of some of our senior players, um, yep. his role has been more important than it's ever been. And he's... Uh, He's been massive for us, and I cannot rate George Hewitt enough. I agree, 100%. He's actually pulled 10 or more clearances four times this season. Yeah, he's a gun. He's an absolute he doesn't, gun. He doesn't get a lot of disposals. Like, he's not a massive disposal winner. We don't really have any big disposal winners in our team. Mitchell, obviously, he's not playing for us anymore. Back back 2015-16, he used to get 28 to 33. Hanabry, uh, he used to average about 30, 29, 30 disposals games. Sam Kennedy as well. McVeigh, earlier in his career, used to average fairly big numbers. But at the moment, we don't really have any big disposal winners um, for the Swans at the moment. No. And it kind of coincides with the trend in the league at the moment where the disposals are actually... Um, kicks are trending down while handballs... Um, are trending up. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually the other way around. But one or the other, the, there's a trend now where there's um, handballs and kicks and stuff like that. So the disposals are trending down along with scores and stuff like that. And that could be to do uh, with rotations and whatnot being limited. But yeah, George Hewitt, he finished fifth in the Bob Skilton medal last year. I think he's um, I think he's in with a very good chance this year. I think he'll be in the top two um, or top three. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the Bobby Skilton later on. Yeah, we'll give a quick chat about the Bob Skitton later on. Yep, right. I'll leave it till then. Yep. Uh, my second big improver of the year uh, is the one and only Iron Mitts, Callum Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll go back to last year. Uh, last year, he was looking at being fourth choice. I thought he was fighting it out with Darcy Cameron, who was basically snatched out of the waffle as like a 22, 23-year-old. And I honestly thought he was battling with him to be you know, literally the fourth choice Ruckman. Uh, and at one point, it honestly looked like it was going to be fourth choice. Uh, starting this season, after a couple of really good games last year, uh, we had Tippett, who was going to be full forward. Obviously, his ankle didn't recover from surgery. He retired. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't do it early enough, so we couldn't actually draft anyone, and we screwed his and he screwed us on the list lodgement. Then we had Sam Naismith, who did his ACL about a month later, and it left us with just Callum Sinclair. Yep. Obviously, Dust Cameron hadn't played yet. 
but his form this year, he has played 22 games, and he has been really, really good. Some of his stats, compared to the other Ruck, are elite. Yep. Uh, only consistently, uh, I think it's only Gorn who consistently, who consistently beats him in some of the key categories, and Grundy really beats him in some of the other ones. But as for the rest of the Rucks in the league, he is as good, if not better. So he's basically... Despite the fact he doesn't get the hitouts, he's not a massive hitout winner. He is pretty much like top three, if not top four, for almost every other uh, measurable stat across the league. So I think he's done a really, really good job for us. He's been really critical for us to um, perform so well at some some points during the season as well. And he did um, a really good number against Ben McAvoy when we beat them at the when we beat the Hawks at the MCG as well. So yeah, uh, yeah it's been been a pretty good season for him. Unfortunately. He's kind of um, fallen away in the back half of the season, but his opening half is really, really good. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, he get, he cops a bit of flack because he uh, he doesn't look as um, well. He's not as capable as Grundy and Gorn, but I think that's a little bit of an unfair comparison because yeah. Grundy and Gorn are in career best form. I mean, Gorn is a potential Brownlow, depending yeah. on who you talk to. They, they sort of say, well, Gorn could be. The first ruckman since uh, ye old Adam Goods to pull a Brownlow. Yep. Um, I reckon so I uh, Brody Grundy should. I reckon Brody Grundy and Max Gorn, um, they honestly should be pulling close to twenty votes, if not more, each. Yep. But I would, if I had a choice on Brownlow, I would be going Brody Grundy. He has been unbelievable um, this year, yeah. and I, I've I've had this discussion a few times with a couple of different people, and I say, look, if if you want to look at the importance of a player to to a team and how they would fare without them. You basically take them out of the team and you see how they go. Now, Sydney were without Franklin, and we won two or three games against top eight opponents. Um, we were without Parker and Kennedy, and we almost beat Hawthorne, who's, who were top four at the time. Uh, we've been without Hanabry for, most of the, uh, for pretty much the first half of the season. We won about eight games without him. So I think the Swans have done really well in that regard to sort of deal with players being unfit or out of the team. You take Rundy out of Collingwood, I promise. I reckon it's like guaranteed they lose half the games they win. Yeah. He is essentially the only reason why they win half the games they've won. That's yeah, how I good agree. he's been. He's been yeah. like Dean Cox dominant. And Dean Cox probably should have been right up there in the equation. Gorn as well. Without Gorn, that Melbourne midfield doesn't get anywhere near as much ball as they do. No. And they are shocking on the on the defense as well. That midfield doesn't run anywhere near hard enough in defense as it does in attack, and they would just get carved up something fierce. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For my mind, I like Grundy better uh, than Gorn. I just I think Grundy gives yeah. you a little bit more around the ground than Gorn does. Um, but certainly either Especially one. in front of goals. Especially in front of goals. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in front of us. Um, and either one of those guys would, would be worthy of having a Chaz hanging around their neck, though. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, one or the other. But um, I honestly think that, uh, yeah, you take Grundy out of Collingwood. Collingwood don't really win much. So, um, yeah, it's. I think also a measure of how Callum Sinclair's done against those players. So I would say the key reason we beat Collingwood uh, was because Sinclair did really well in that third quarter to nullify um, Grundy. Because Grundy was really on top in the first half, and he got back on top in the last quarter. And it was basically him and Adams 
as why they got back in the game. Uh, but with Sinclair doing a good job on Grundy, they they um, struggled to even win the ball, let alone get it forward in that yep. third quarter when we killed them. So, yep, yep, yeah. Was that the third? His third quarter was impressive, and it was enough to get us over the line. Yeah, and, and I think that's been the most Im- impressive thing about him is he's not a ruck. He's I, I think people kind of look at him and go, he's a shit ruck. But the thing is, he's not really a ruck. That's that's the thing that people forget. I mean, yeah, he's tall. He plays as a ruck. But he actually played all his league football as a forward who pinch hit in a ruck. So it's it's a big change. I think it's a big change for him. Now, Josh, uh, I would like you to give me your next big improver. Uh, Benny Ronk. Yes, um, Benny Ronk, again, another another kid. He's 19-year-old. He was thrown to the wolves again in a really important game. His game against Geelong was his debut. Is that correct? Um. Yes. Down at the Cattery. Pretty sure that was his debut game. Gave yes. us two goals in that game. Uh, one in the last quarter in our come-from-behind win. Um, he's a... Look, he's a hard worker. He doesn't have a big tank. He he gets he gasses himself all the time um, when he's working hard up and down the field. Uh, he's a really good tackler. He's a very clean tackler as well. Um, yep. And he's got he's got fantastic goal sense, um, which is why I really don't understand why we've been playing him as as more of a midfielder in the back end of the year. But um, for for the amount of games he's got under his belt, which is seventeen. Um, uh, for the amount of games he's got under his belt and his experience base, uh, I just think he's just been a really, really good addition to the team. And he's another one of these young kids who's who was thrown in the deep end, and yep. he gave as much, he gave back more than you would have expected out of him. And he held his spot in the team as well um, over yeah. other guys who are more experienced. So, um, in my my view is that he gives us what he gives us more of what Gary Rowan should be giving us. Yeah. Um, and I know we're going to talk about Gary Rowan here in a little yep, while yep, as well. Yep. <laughs> um, but Benny Ronk, I, I love him. And he's been, he was the absolute key in us winning two games this year. Obviously, yes. the Hawthorne game where he kicked an amazing seven. Um, and the other one, which I can't remember the team we played against, but he kicked another five and was the difference North again. North Melbourne. Just North Melbourne. Just yep. a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic mid-sized forward, you know. Um, yeah sort of Bruce-like on occasion. I love him, and I can't wait to see what he's like in a couple of years' time. Yeah, 100% agree. Look, I watched a couple of games with him um, playing his trade in an EFL, and he was fast. He was super fast. Like Sam Murray, people said how fast he is. Ben Ronk is faster. And I think he proved that against Hawthorne when he hit a top speed of 36 kilometers an hour. I can't remember who was chasing down. Was it Taylor Duray in the goal square? He was about 15 meters behind. And, I mean, that kid's not slow either. And he closed that distance and got his boot on the ball before uh, the Hawks player could get his hand on the ball. Yeah. And kicked. That was, I think it was his third or fourth goal of the game in the first yep. quarter. That was an unbelievable goal. Unbelievable. Yep. yep. Yeah, he uh, made up a lot of ground. He did. Now, touching on his debut, this is how good his debut was. He had 15 disposals, two goals, one, seven tackles, four inside 50s, eight contested possessions. Massive. Now, that's like Kieran Jack when he was a pretty decent footballer, and I'm not talking about now, but like about probably five, six years ago when he was getting 15 to 20 disposals a game. Yep. If you got that from Kieran Jack in 2012, well, you were getting that from Kieran Jack in 2012, but if you're getting that from Kieran Jack now, you'd be lathering him up and going, play for more, play for more. We want more years out of you because that is some pretty seriously good statistics right there. Yep. 
Yeah, the only, the only thing I would say about Benny Ronk is that his 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 disposal by foot, and I don't mean shots at goal because his <laughs> his accuracy goal is generally Insane. over eighty percent. And on the night yeah. we beat Hawthorne, it was a hundred. It was seven from seven. Um, but his uh his field kicking leaves a lot to be desired. Um, yeah. and he's down at Kieran Jack levels of efficiency. It's the one beef I've got with him at the moment. Um, but he's a kid and he can fix it. So we'll, we'll see what he yeah. does. I wonder if that's just more of a fitness problem. Because every time he gets the ball, he just looks gassed. No, that's right. So by the time he actually goes late on the boot, he's absolutely knackered. And and you and I saw him at the St Kilda game, you know, laughing a couple of times. He looked like he was about to double over and vomit on the sidelines. Yep. He worked so hard. <laughs> um, but by the time he puts the ball on the foot, he's got nothing left and he sprays his kicks all the time. But um, so yep. one, that is the one thing I think he needs to work on at the moment. Yeah, 100% agree. So the, there's definitely some improvement there, but for a first-year player um, who came from the Niaf, basically came from the wilderness of football to yeah. perform the way he has, he has, he has done very, very well. Now, my last uh, big improver of the season, I am a fan of this guy. Anyone who knows this podcast should know it, Josh. It's got to be a Leah, a Leah. Yeah. Now, 2016, um, with Callum Mills, he was rated elite by uh, the AFL Fox footy team in intercept marks and intercept possessions and general defensive play. For some reason, he just couldn't get a game last year. There were times when uh, he shouldn't have played and they played him, and there was times when he should have played and they didn't play him. And I still couldn't get the uh, obsession over playing Malik and over Leah. It just didn't, didn't float with me. He finally gets a game this year against... Uh, the Bulldogs, not a good game. Uh, well, we had, I mean, he he had no business being there. He, he'd just come back no, from injury. His form was no good. He shouldn't have been on the paddock, and they admitted that after he, the game, too. He didn't even have form. He played like 20 minutes in the Nifu. Yeah. And they just went, oh, same reason, we need someone up there. Oh, well, maybe we don't do that again. That's that's an experiment we don't do again. <laughs> I think that was an experiment most people would have said, you probably shouldn't have done it in the first place. We all knew what was going to happen, because... The guy ain't fit. The guy has no yep. match fitness. Uh, then he finally comes back into the team after the bye. Uh, and then that first game he played was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> he was amazing in that first game. Um, I'm just looking it up now. Uh, we're talking West Coast. 13 kicks, 10 marks, 18 disposals, uh, 4 rebound 50s, uh, and 5 contested possessions. But his best game was arguably the um, North Melbourne game when he yep. wins the match. Yep. 23 disposals, 10 marks again, and the match-winning goal. So, yep. look, um, I think he's been really impressive this year. Against Hawthorne, had a shocker. Had an absolute shocker. Uh, but that happens. He's not the only player who didn't perform that didn't perform yep. that night. So No, and, yeah. and gee, some, of the, some of the commentary around his performance that night was just... It's pretty vicious, you know. Yeah. It was a little bit much and over the top, yeah. And and I, I agree in that he had a shocker, but um, I think I think if you go back and have a look at how we performed after the bye, objectively, um, yeah, he's probably one of only two or three other players uh, that made us or gave us the chance to be in the top four anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Um, he's hundred percent agree. Far outweigh uh, that one game. So let's well, if you have a look at the Collingwood game, he had twenty four disposals and twelve marks. Which is absolutely insane. Not only that, his best game for one percenters, which is really a true measurement. You're talking spoils and smothers and things like that and last ditch efforts. He had eight against Geelong. That yep. was unfortunately the game we lost. 
But that was still another one of his really good games. He had 12 contested possessions that game. And against Gold Coast, when we lost again, which is which is actually probably the game when he may well end up with some Brownlow votes, he got 14 contested disposals. He was our best player that game. And yep. he had 24 disposals again. Yep. Yep. So yeah, he was last... best player that day. Yeah, yeah, he was. His last month hasn't been that great, but I think that's coincided with the fact that um, we've been a bit short in defence. Um, Heath Grundy finally came back for Hawthorne, but unfortunately we had AJ out, and then Aaliyah was playing a key defensive role against the Giants, which he did pretty well again anyway. So, yep. yeah, look, he's my big improver. He's probably going to pick up, I would say, five or six Brownlow votes, um, and, he, and he should honestly finish top 10, top 8 in the Bob Skilton. Yep, yeah, I agree. Special mentions uh, for our improvers this year. Dane Rampey. Yep. I thought he's uh, taken that role at fullback and he's done an amazing job at it. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and improved in the back end of the season too after a pretty... He wasn't poor, but he was he sort of wasn't quite Rampey either at the start of the year. No. And I think that was just a case of him, his role changing and growing into that change role. Yep. Uh, Harry Cunningham. I yep. thought his second half of the season has been terrific. Yeah, yeah, he's a good clubman, isn't he? I, I can't understand the the Harry Cunningham hate that floats around out there. That he's a he's a clubman, like he's um he's one of those he's a depth player, you know. He's one of those guys who's in your best twenty two. He's not a rock star, but he's not a spud either. You actually yep. need those guys in your team, um, and I just think Harry um I think just Harry's just generally reliable these days, and he's good. I, I like I him. Think- I think he's good for us. I think the hate kind of stems from his um, couple of years ago, 2015, 2016, when he was kind of, he was new, but he was kind of spudding it up at the same time, and he was yeah. just making blunders and mistakes. But now he's very solid. He's a very solid, reliable player. Um, he's not that fast, flashy forward anymore. I don't think he ever, ever really was that fast, flashy forward. He, he, there was moments early in his career where he kind of ducked out of it or backed out of the hard stuff, but now these days he's in there. Yeah. Um, right up into his knees in it. So I think he's just a really reliable player for us. Yeah, Our I next like one, him. another 19-year-old. Oflo. He's another one who's done really well this year. Yep. Uh, he has, I, I guess, uh, at the start of the year, there was some questions about whether or not he, um, I guess last year he was physically ready on it. And I remember this year earlier when I'm talking to um, Heather Quinlan on the podcast, the question was, is it more of a mental thing? Because physically he looks okay. And then... There was that game he, that he just went, you know, exploded in. I think it was the um, the North Melbourne game earlier this year. And after that, he was just absolutely superb. I thought his coming of age moment was when he kicked that last goal against the Bulldogs. Um, yes, definitely. He's been quite reliable since. And he probably wasn't physically ready last year. But um, look, he's, he's, he's certainly showing us why we drafted him. Um, yeah, and like all those kids, I can't I can't wait to see what they can look like with seventy five games under their belt. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And if you look at his numbers, right, he's played just over double the amount of games he played last year. He's actually played twenty two this year. Um, he has had a more than a hundred percent increase in kicks, tackles, uh, marks, hairballs, disposals, uh, roughly double the amount of goals. Everything across the board, he has more than doubled in. Um, unfortunately, he's also more than doubled in clangers. <laughs> he's also getting a lot more of the ball now too, so... Yeah, he is. He's playing um, more of a midfield role, um, which is a bit, bit surprising. But his <laughs> defensive efforts are really good as well, so... So I think he's been really good for us. And obviously the last one, Isaac Heaney. 
uh, the next captain, as far as I'm concerned. I would have said yep. Callum Mills at the start of the year, but I just the way the way he's come along, um, the way he leads by example on the ground, not just in the way he plays his footy, but if you watch him now, he's directing players around and and um, he's positioning some of the younger kids up as well. I think um, I think he's almost a shoe in for the next captain. Or I don't know whether the next captain, maybe if, if JPK goes say at the end of next year, there might be we might have a Luke Parker captain for a period of time. Yeah. But certainly, I reckon Haynes is gonna he's gonna have the captaincy at some stage. Yeah, he's been he's been really really good for us, and especially the last sort of month or so, he's been terrific for us. Probably one of the main reasons why we've actually been able to do so well. Uh, his stats this year, um, career best, pretty much across the board. Um, most disposals, most our uh, second most goals from twenty sixteen, uh, most tackles, uh, getting close to most rebound fifties, second most inside forward fifties. Most clearances, um, most free for and against, unfortunately. Uh, most contested disposals and, mo- and second most uncontested disposals. So it has been a really good season for him. And he still averages a goal a game. Excellent. Now it's time to discuss the top 10 moments of the season. <laughs> My favourite bit. I like yep. this list. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, Buddy Franklin, he's Eight against the Eagles at Perth Stadium. It was the first ever AFL match there, and he managed to christen it with eight spectacular goals. Yep, absolutely schooled them. Yep, and Shannon Hearn uh, had no chance of stopping him, and neither did any of the other Eagles defenders who looked absolutely hapless against him. Yeah, completely <laughs> out of their depth against him on that day. And, and uh, uh, joke's on us, though, because that's where he picked up his heel injury. Yeah, and he's trained about 20 minutes ever since then. Yep. <laughs> Uh, second second moment of the season was Isaac Heaney's screamer against Melbourne. Um, over the top of uh, the hapless forward, what's his name? Jesse, uh, Hogan. Jesse Hogan. Yeah, took the screamer for mark of the year, the double bounce. Um, I loved it. It was, a, a, fantastic it was mark. a pretty good leap. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've seen it from a mile away, and he's just hanging there, and he's just taking a mark. It was spectacular. And he actually took... Um, a really good mark on the um, goal line anyway. So he was amazing in that last quarter. He was absolutely massive in that last quarter. He had four disposals and he still managed to pick up the 10 coaches votes. That's how good That's how good he was in that last quarter. Yep. Huge. Uh, Luke Parker's freak goal for uh, goal of the year in round <laughs> one against the Eagles as well. <laughs> yep. I don't, th- I don't think he's going to get goal of the year. I-, I think he should. And the reason I think he should is because he never actually had control of that ball when he kicked it. But I think Jack Higgins is going to get goal yeah. of the year for his effort. But still Jack Higgins rip- was ridiculous. Still a ripping goal, though. It was. And that was when the Eagles were pushing back as well. I think the margin only then was about 10 points or something like that. So um, they were coming back hard in that last quarter and we managed to hold them off. Mm-hmm. And the next one is your one as well. Uh, it is Franklin's 60-meter bomb against the Giants uh, to win the game. Yep. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we felt I, it, anyone should go back and, and look at the highlights for that game because the commentary when he kicked that ball was fantastic um, about how the Swans fans were sensing the danger because, well, let's face it, we're all sitting there going, oh, my God, we're about to sort of snatched defeat from the jaws of Fitcher here and then yep. and then Franklin bobbed up and kicked that and uh that was just a great a great a great bit of footy uh, and the commentary that went with it was just spot on as well. I, it was a good moment yeah, for me. It was. I just love the uh the greatest showman call. I thought that was superb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, he's um I think it was Nick Haynes he just flattened. I think have it was you, Haynes or someone else. Have you got that in the intro to to the podcast, that piece of commentary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
No, not that one. Um, get it I've got in a different there. one. Get it in there. I should get it in there. I should, this is, this I? is Buddy Franklin. <laughs> after, after he actually got that goal, I was trying to modify it, but I couldn't find the original file, so I'd actually have to recreate the whole intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one, uh, we both agreed on this one. Uh, it was an amazing game. Oh, ben Rock's third game. He's seven goals, ten tackles. Yep. Absolutely amazing. And, uh, and you know, for a number of reasons. And I reckon I reckon at the end of the first quarter, pretty much everyone had their phone out Googling who the hell is Ben Ronk. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who the hell is... Wait, you know what I say? I was up in the Ponsford stand for the first three quarters and I'd forgotten to take my glasses. And half the time, I actually thought it was George Hewitt having a blinder because I couldn't tell who yep. it was. Um, yep. <laughs> but it was an amazing game. Absolutely amazing game. Um, and just shout out to the cheer squad that night too because the way they were screaming out Ronky... Um, was was more well, chanting Ronky was pretty special. That was that was my yep. favourite game of the year. That oh, it was, and it, that was um that was an amazing shootout as well because Gunston finished with um six goals as well. Yeah, and it was just oh, it was an entertaining game to be. It was a really good, really good win, really good game. Um, and obviously that same game, George Hewitt. Uh, actually, both games really. George Hewitt's tagging jobs on Mitchell this season has been really, really good. Yep, he's been amazing. We've already don't need to say too much because we spoke about him a lot earlier. But yep. uh, my boy George, um, he's been uh, by George. He's been amazing. By George, yep. Yep. Now Lee's match-winning goal against North Melbourne yes. was probably one of the moments of the season. Definitely one of the moments. Uh, he had had a pretty good game at that point, and yep. then um, I remember I was the uh, funny thing was I was actually driving between um, San Francisco and LA for this game. And we arrived at our Airbnb at, uh, I don't even know what time it was. It was late, like 11 o'clock at night or something like that. And uh, we're watching a replay because obviously uh, we already knew the result that we won at this point. We're watching a replay. And um, I, I said to said to Mrs. Bloggs, I go, is that Aaliyah in the forward line? She's like, no, nah, surely not. And about two minutes later, Aaliyah pops up and kicks a goal. And it's like, oh, shit, yes. <laughs> I was at work. And I, I was watching that at work. Um, and... I was up and about, and I was screaming my head off in the lounge room in our little crew room. And my my yep. boss came out and was basically, you know, what the are you carrying on about? <laughs> I'm like you wouldn't understand because you're a Pies fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was amazing. It was an amazing goal, uh, and the the post match interview was absolutely superb as well. Magic Door was enormous in that game as well. He was the uh, the specimen. He had a pretty good game that game. He had a great game. Uh, but it may well end up being that Aliyah actually gets the three Brownlow votes because he was pretty bloody good as well. That battle, um, I actually watched a bit of that match and replay. That battle against Dor was probably one of the matchups of the season. Yeah. Across yeah. the entire season. It was a really good battle. Um, and obviously, Sydney's come back against the Cats. They kicked seven goals in the last quarter. I think they kicked almost 40 points with Kennedy and Sinclair just destroying the Cats. Yep. Yeah, that, that last quarter from Kennedy, uh, besides the fact that our extremely young forward line got the job done, um, that last Kennedy, uh, last Kennedy, that last quarter from <laughs> Josh Kennedy, um, you, I don't think you will ever see a better quarter from a midfielder. No, ever. it was amazing. But even then, Sinclair just got on top of Stanley and um, whoever else he was rocking against, uh, Radigalia, and I think yep. even Blitzars had a couple of cracks in there. He just dominated them. Yeah. And the most important parts of those quarters was when he actually took two really big contested marks as well. Yep. Uh, the next one, Tom McCartan's goal against Collingwood. 
off the ground. Superb. Off the how, ground, yeah. How the hell did he do it? How did I he do it? I have no idea. He said he just didn't know. He just kind of pushed the ball and threw his leg at it and it just trickled through. Yep. <laughs> um, I remember watching that and I was stressed off my head because I was like, no, 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 we're going to lose another one. And then it just trickled through and I was like, yes, screaming my head off. Yeah, I think we scared the dogs, scared the cats, scared the neighbours. <laughs> yep. Um, obviously, the last one now. Uh, this is a recent one, but Sydney's win against the Demons. Um, bittersweet win, but was hung on in the end. This is one of those wins, I think, um, really shows the character... Oh, I mean, oh, I'm actually probably just stealing horses' words now, but that just showed the character of the club. Yeah, um, it did. One of the, I think, I think the whole Bloods culture thing's turned into a bit of a catchphrase and a bit of a marketing gimmick the last few years. But, but I thought that the Bloods culture um, moniker was quite appropriate for that night. Um, it was a great win. I just wonder whether if we had lost that, I wonder whether we would have got credit for the amount of injuries we had, uh, like yeah. we've used for Collingwood all year. Um, probably yeah. not. But um, fantastic game. Yeah, look, Collingwood's injury list, I mean, that's kind of long, but uh, half the players are not the VFL players. Yeah. And same with the Giants' injury list. Yeah, Giants have had a really big injury list. Then they showed him, and you're just like, well, that guy's been injured for like three years. Delidio's been permacropped for like the last five years. Yeah, sure. Is he in the best one too? Yes. He's mm-hmm. played like three games in three years. And then all the other players are like the Neeful team. It's like, okay, yeah, they're missing Patton, sure. Uh, they're missing... Uh, I think Dawson Simpson, yeah, sure, and Toby Green, okay. The next nine, nine of the next twelve, are like Neefel players, so yeah, it's it's one of those they always use as a uh, crutch. The uh, Victorian media, whenever the Victorian teams are struggling, ah, injuries, injuries, injuries. Yep. Go away, you interstate rebel scum. Yes, yes, <laughs> we interstate rebel scum now. <laughs> 